Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Welcome to Jules Says. I'm Julie. Jules. If you have anything you'd like to share, please email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. Okay, I can't ignore that Queen Elizabeth passed away last week. She passed away on Carrie's birthday, which is also apparently the Virgin Mary's birthday. Who knows? The reaction of the Queen's passing has certainly been mixed, though. For many people, understandably, the monarchy represents colonial oppression and worse, while others are quite grief-stricken. I felt strangely sad. Of course, an anonymous Canadian peasant can't really know anything about the Queen, but I feel like she was truly a decent human being, and I think she had integrity. And I also think we can acknowledge that, while also acknowledging the historical horrors and persistent systemic problems with colonialism. I have to say, though, that uh, it, it just it feels somewhat distasteful to hear the words King and Charles strung together without Spaniel. Time will tell whether the monarchy's relevance is sustainable into the future, or whether it even should be. We'll see. Speaking of people who live extremely wealthy lives, last week I kind of ranted about oil company profits and people who are struggling to get by. Well, this week I have a special guest to chat with us about universal basic income. Jesse Gollum is an entrepreneur, a Huffington Post-published professional writer, an accomplished classical pianist. She was a finalist on CBC's Piano Hero in Canada. She's an activist, she's a photographer, and a professional public speaker. Her photography skills enabled her to produce a photo series called Humans of Basic Income that amplifies the stories of the recipients of the prematurely cancelled Basic Income pilot project in Ontario. The series has been exhibited across Canada and the world, 
And in 2019, Jesse exhibited Humans of Basic Income at Supercrawl in Hamilton, Ontario, the Contact Photography Festival in Toronto, Ontario, the North American Basic Income Congress in New York City, and the Basic Income Earth Congress in Hyderabad, India, to name a few. Jesse's Humans of Basic Income series has been published and featured in every major publication in Canada, as well as in numerous influential international publications. And she and her BFF Judy have a podcast called Will You Accept This Roach, which they do just for fun. Jesse, welcome to Jules Says. I'm thrilled that you were able to make time for us. And I'm excited to talk to you about basic minimum income or what do we call it? Well, it's, it depends on the person you're talking to. Some people will say like universal basic income. Oh yes. Some people like the words guaranteed livable income or just basic income. I I tend to lean towards using basic income just because I, it sort of encompasses or is open to the other interpretations of it. And we'll get more into that. Um, Language is really important. It is very important. But before we get into that, we're very interested in hearing about your podcast. Tell me about what your podcast is. (laughs) Listen, I am a fan of irreverent comedy. Let me say that first. Okay. My eldest daughter is a very successful comedian based in the UK. Okay. (laughs) So tell us about your podcast. Well, I will preface by saying that um, I live in Canada. Mm -hmm. So it is. As do I. And certain things in Canada are legal and and are not legal in other countries. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And the second thing um, I will say is that doing this with my friend brought me a lot of joy during the darkest times of the pandemic. So our podcast is called Will You Accept This Roach? The podcast where we get stoned and watch The Bachelor. Okay, that does sound like fun. It's an irreverent comedy podcast. Well, you just (laughs) never know. This is my podcast is labeled explicit because I don't Mm -hmm. worry about language and I don't worry about adult content. So even if one of my episodes isn't explicit, Mm -hmm. I just label the whole thing explicit. So I don't want to have to bleep out certain words. And then at least you know what you're getting. I cover the whole gamut of topics because my podcast is basically me talking about my life, my opinions, what Mm -hmm. I've been wrong on, what I've learned over the years because I've lived my life and made a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And Um, I think... So so many of us have, yeah. Well, of course, we're human. We've all made mistakes. And the other thing is... Your parents are human and they make mistakes. I'm a parent. I've made mistakes. But anyway, yeah, I digress. Check out Jesse's podcast. I haven't heard it yet, but I'm going to check it out too. It, it, you're, you're not going to get any intelligent or educational dialogue whatsoever, but we have fun and we're mostly just sort of making fun of the culture of North American reality TV. Yeah. Because it's a very strange culture and and tries to put itself off as this sort of white Christian wholesome good thing except it is one person dating 30 people at the same time yeah I just we like to make fun of it and I think there can be a lot of hypocrisy in anyway I don't want to get into that too much (laughs) anyway it's a whole other brought you joy and and that's the most important thing we need some joy in our lives we do we do I agree But I invited Um, Jesse to talk to us about 
universal basic income because yes, and I'd much rather talk about that today. Canada had during the pandemic a CERB program, which is the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. And I certainly hear a lot of people who, you know, I don't love paying taxes. I don't love the government wasting money. I definitely do care about people and want everyone to have basic things in life, such as housing and health care and education. But there are a lot of people who argue that that's socialism. And they also argue that giving people basic living wages demotivates them to work, makes them lazy. But there are actual studies, apparently, and I don't really know anything about this, which is why I've invited you. There are studies that dispel those things. Those are actually commonly held myths. We shouldn't go by just anecdotal evidence. We should look toward evidence-based information. Yeah, certainly. And it's interesting when people were saying that high wages demotivate work because I feel like we're seeing right now in common, in everyday culture, like in the news I am reading every day, the opposite happening, like workers demanding higher wages. You're seeing companies like Starbucks and Amazon unionizing and fighting for rights and having better wages. Like I'm starting to hear this new term called quiet quitting, which sort of feels like this kind of like gaslighting where people are just, you know, doing the bare minimum of the work they're being paid for, which I think is fair because if you are expecting your employee to work overtime or to put in extra um, or to do more than you are giving them on their job description, then you should absolutely pay that employee more. And then when they are being paid more, they will work more. And and those the studies that you are referencing, there was a study that was done. I, I forget off the top of my head who the author is, but I will absolutely link you the study. Um, I, I should know who the author is because I met the author, so I feel a bit embarrassed. But they looked at basic income pilots that have taken place all over the world. And there's actually been a lot of basic income pilots that have taken place. Canada has a long history with basic income. In the 70s, we held a basic income pilot in Manitoba that was called Mincom, where one town in Manitoba uh, received a basic income. And then more recently in Ontario, in um, 2017 and 2018, there was the Ontario basic income pilot. And I'll tell you more about that because that's sort of where my personal story begins. Um, And that pilot was prematurely canceled by the Doug Ford government, um, the conservative government. But there's been pilots that have taken place all over the world. Um, There have been basic income pilots that have taken place in Europe, in Africa and South America, every continent. And so like this study asked that exact question, like will a basic income incentivize or disincentivize work? And like what the study found was that across the board, and like this is a huge control group that we're talking about, like all these basic income pilots are different, different parameters, different amounts of money, different lengths of time, different populations, different countries, right? And different eras in that the cultural changes from the 70s to now are very different. Very different. But but so then it's stunning how similar the results were. The majority, the vast majority of people worked more or the amount of work stayed the same. The only people groups that worked less were people that chose to be stay at home caregivers, like stay at home parents or caregivers for elderly or disabled or vulnerable dependents. 
or they chose to go back to school. So those people, like they're caring for people, they are working. And I do believe that that sort of work should be paid. It's extremely valuable. And then the other people, they're getting a better education so that they can get a better job. So nobody works less. Like this whole excuse or thought of like, you know, people are going to get free money and they're going to, you know, just sit on their ass playing video games all day. Like that simply did not happen. Were there some people who did that? I'm sure there must have been a very... Oh, certainly. But, but, certainly. This is, but this is my argument. You can't yeah. make everybody suffer because a very small, small percentage might take advantage of a program. Exactly, exactly. Like, certainly every sort of program like this would have outliers that, yes, maybe they do sit on their ass and play video games all day, but... If you think about like the amount that you receive in basic income, when I was on the Ontario basic income pilot and like the amount I got was not a lot. It covered my rent and that was about it. Like it did not cover my cost of food or my car or my cell phone bill or anything else. So like I could sit on my ass and play video games all day, but the life I would have would not be great. You know, you could afford to like live in your parents' basement and eat ramen and macaroni. So if people are doing that, like good for them, but most people are not. Because but I also think anyone who does that has other issues going exactly. on because most people, when they grow up, learn just through experience that when you do something, when you work at or accomplish something, it feels good. Yes. It builds resilience, self-worth. Yes. It's fulfilling. And I think a person who actually does just want to lie around and play video games. There's something else going on. Yeah. It isn't because they were given that bit of money. No. And the other thing that I would argue is you, if you take all that money away, and, and I'm saying all that money, if you take away the basic minimum income, does it motivate everyone to go to work? I wonder if any studies have been done on the flip side of what happens to people when it's taken away. Because most of these programs, I, from what I understand, were temporary. Yep. Do these people end up homeless? Do they end up maybe turning to crime? Do they end up uh, with worse addiction issues? Well, it isn't a guarantee that they're going to necessarily go and work harder. It, no, it's not. Not at all. <laughs> I, I've read studies about poverty and where it shows that your IQ level actually lowers because you are so stressed with just trying to survive, with, you know, trying to meet your basic needs, like get food on the table or pay your bills for the month. So the, the constant stress of just trying to make it and survive, it actually lowers your IQ. So you have less of a mental capacity to think beyond that, to realize your dreams or or to get a better job or get yourself out of a hole. Like you're sort of stuck in this trap. And um, I'm speaking also from experience. When the Ontario Basic Income Pilot was canceled, I watched the people who, who were depending on that income have it suddenly taken away from them so abruptly. A lot of them slipped back into poverty. One of my friends died. Um, <gasps> One of my friends died. Um, oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Um, thank you. That, that Michael Hansen. Um, it was awful. So, and I saw like this mental health and, and, and a lot of people just suffer from that happening. Like it was not good. It did not 
help people or motivate people. You know, it's like if you're a parent and, you know, you, you, I know some parents will say to your kids, okay, now you're 18, get out of the house. You're done. Go, go be a grown up now. You're kicked out. I, I don't think that kind of support would help someone if they're all of a sudden they're homeless and they're like, oh, I'm going to go get a ma- magically get a job and, you know, buy my house and succeed. It's hard to do that if you don't even have a house. Yeah. And, you know, um, I know that children age out of the foster care system at 18. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a high risk transition. Yes. Yes. And when we talk about caregiving, one of the problems with caregiving is it has historically been free labor, the majority of which is done by women. And so as a consequence of that, even though now we have to pay certain caring jobs because we don't have legions of free labor available. I mean, we can't just afford to do that. It's undervalued. Even the caring, you talked earlier about how it enables people to care for sick, elderly, or children. Those roles in society, the caring roles, are critical to society's function. Exactly. Yeah, you're you're taking care of your elders and like the boomer generation, which is a huge, huge percent of our population, is aging and needs that, needs that care. And then also like so many people like... And I don't think anybody would disagree with me by saying like, you know, raising a child is one of the most important jobs in our society, like raising a happy, healthy, well-developed functioning human who can, you know, grow up and contribute to society, you know, like these are important jobs and I don't know why they wouldn't be paid. And, and yes, it is majority of women. And then, so then, you know, if they're not in the workforce because they're caring for children, but they are unpaid they are dependent on their spouse's labor. So so a lot of people might not even be able to leave those relationships. So there's also that sort of domestic level of freedom that you're able to afford um, if you are in an abusive relationship, for instance. Yeah. Or if you were never in a relationship, maybe you were single and you have to care for people. Not that caring yeah. is the only reason. Tell us a little bit more about your own experience, though. How this transpired it's it's kind of a crazy story before all this happened like I had heard about basic income but I was kind of ambivalent on the issue I I just thought it was like oh cool this economic trendy thing and back in um 2017 I was um I was a starving artist um I'm still an artist I'm just not as starving anymore but um starving artist just trying to get by I had um I think I had three or four jobs at that point. I think it was four jobs. And I was trying to cobble together these jobs. I was paying for an abusive relationship that I had left um, that had drained me financially. Mm -hmm. I was recovering from that. I was trying desperately to start a business. And also at the time, I was volunteering for a not-for-profit that I was promised would become a paying job. It was called Photographers Without Borders. And it just they exploit and people and they do not pay for their anything. They're they're a very bad organization. Don't um, get me started on internships. <laughs> yes, it, it so. was the unpaid internship. Uh-huh. And, and except the unpaid internship ended up being 60 hour work weeks and phone calls in the middle of the night because why didn't I get that awards application for the CEO in on time, which would not have helped me at all, but would you know help the CEO immensely. But anyway, my life was very stressful. 
And I remember, like, I just saw this, like, news article, like, you know, just scrolling on my phone and, you know, on social media and saw this article about a basic income pilot that was happening in Ontario. And it was going to be taking place in four cities. And one of those cities, Hamilton, is the city I lived in. And the only qualifying factor is that you had to be over the age of 18 and you had to be making less than $30,000 a year. And I was like, I'm over the age of 18 and making less than $30,000. Like, let's let's sign up. What? Why not? Like, so like my roommate and I, we went to an information session. We signed up and then she found out that she got accepted onto the pilot and I did not get any letter. And I was like, oh, darn. And then, you know, but then a month later, I got a letter and it was saying I was accepted and that I'd be receiving this basic income. And that that changed everything. I that night, like I was like, I got the letter in the morning and I, I thought I was like, oh, that's cool. But I got to go to work. So, you know, I got up and I immediately got out of bed and went to my first job. Then I went to my second job. Then I went to my third job. And then, you know, it's late at the end of the night. I'm driving home and I'm exhausted from a long day. And I just thought my rent is covered now. Oh my God, my rent is covered. I just started sobbing in the car, just tears of relief, just thinking, oh my God, my rent is covered. This is huge. Like this is a game changer. Just and it wasn't even a huge amount. It was $700 a month. It wasn't a huge amount um, that I was receiving. Um, but it still changed everything. So like I quit a bunch of those jobs. I focused entirely on building my business. And I was starting to see my business grow. And that was amazing. Because I had that free time that basic income afforded me to do the business and know that no matter what investment or risk that I make, I still have an income to cover me and at the very, very least pay my rent. I still need to work because it doesn't pay for anything else, but that's okay. Like I want to work and I wanted to get to a point where I wouldn't need basic income anymore. So I even like, I wrote out a whole business plan. I did financial projections based on like, how I was doing and where I wanted to be and what my goals were. And I projected that the three-year pilot that was supposed to be three years long, I would only have been on the pilot for two out of those three years because at that point, I would have been making enough money. I would have been making more and I would no longer qualify for the basic income pilot because I'd be making too much money and I would have a successful business and I would have been able to hire people. Like So I just think of the way it could have been, you know? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. It's, it sounds like it's not an expense. It's an investment in people yeah. to lift them and others associated with them up. I fully agree with that. I don't think it was an expense. I, I I was investing in it. And then we were also seeing that like, you know, when people have that extra money, they can go and they support small businesses. They go to their local coffee shop more. They buy from that local farmer's market. So like 
it has like this ripple effect on the local economy. People have more ability to spend on goods and services, and then that helps the people around them as well. And I think it sounds obviously like it would help your mental health. We have such a short supply of mental health resources available to people. If you can just the simplest thing, and I know money won't buy you happiness, but having enough money to live buys you peace of mind. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. Um, There's this study I read in like a Malcolm Gladwell book. Um, And this study is a few years old. I think it's like 20 years old. So the numbers will be skewed by now. But the basic the premise was that there is a correlation between money and happiness up to a certain point. Mm -hmm. After that point, no matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter. It it will not affect your happiness. So at the time that this, I think it was like 1995, that number was $75,000. Oh my God would be today, I would imagine it's something like $100,000. Mm-hmm. The, the, the thing is the same. Money will buy happiness because you can know that your needs are covered. You can, you, you can afford to have good food. You can afford flexibility. You can afford that rainy day or you can afford to go on a vacation. And I don't think these are unreasonable things that, you know, humans don't deserve. And I don't believe in penalizing people in poverty. Like you shouldn't get mad at that poor person because, they spent their money on a pack of cigarettes yeah. instead of buying healthy food for their... No, no. Like, you shouldn't judge how people spend their money, especially when you look at how the rich spend their money. But then it got pulled at some point. It did. So um, the basic income pilot was put forward by Kathleen Wynne and the Liberal government of Ontario. There was an election. Um, the Liberal government lost and was replaced by Doug Ford and the Conservative government. He had gone on the record numerous times during his election campaign promising like there's articles in the Toronto Star where he explicitly states that he would not cancel the pilot the pilot was like literally one of the first things to go is like within the first couple of weeks of him being elected he canceled the pilot very abruptly he said clearly it wasn't working there was no evidence to suggest that it wasn't working the evidence like the studies were ongoing and then they, they actually did continue the studies afterwards, and it did prove that it was working. Oh, and- that was my next question. Did they continue afterwards? And maybe you can share links to some of these studies because, it, I mean, I don't want you to have to work hard to dig them up. But if they're easily accessible to you, I'd really appreciate sharing that. I will absolutely share them with you. So the researchers, they were fired initially when, when the pilot was canceled by the government. But then the Basic Income Canada Network and a bunch of other groups and interested people helped to continue the study and fund the release of a report called Signposts to Success. And um, they determined that like mental health in for the people who were on the pilot, like mental health improved significantly across the board. Um, again, you know, when we're going back to workplace motivation and incentivization, more people worked. Um, more people on the Ontario Basic Income Pilot worked. There were people like me who were starting businesses. A lot of people reported being able to have healthier food, access to better health care for themselves, a lot of information about children. So a lot of parents felt that they could give better lives to their children, like they could enroll their, enroll their children in extracurriculars, get their children healthier food, spend more time with their kids. And, and so it did have that positive outcome as well. And I started to see this myself. So after the pilot was canceled, I was furious. I I cannot um, remember being that angry because 
I saw my business, my opportunity, this, this one thing that I was working so hard towards being taken away from me by this government who did not care, nor did they even have a very valid reason whatsoever or a plan. Plus they broke a promise and it just, it disgusts me. Some of the politics that went into that. So I, I, I'm a photographer. So I started to find these other basic income recipients and I asked if I could take their portraits and I gave them cardboard signs and markers and asked them to write out in their own words what they use basic income for. So my goal was to get 50 portraits and I actually ended up getting closer to 70. And I was able to get portraits in all the cities um, that the basic income pilot was taking place. So that was Hamilton, Brantford, Lindsay and Thunder Bay. Um, I was able to travel to all those places and, and take portraits. So the portrait series took a life of its own. Like the moment I put it on the internet, it went viral right away and received international attention even um, where I was, I was speaking to people um, across the world about this issue and all of a sudden finding myself at the center of this issue and sort of one of the advocates of the people who were affected by the Ontario basic income pilot. And then also just sort of like learning more about basic income as a whole and as a movement and what that means. So I had opportunities. I exhibited the portraits in 2019 at the Basic Income Congress in New York and also in Hyderabad, India. And at the end of September, I'm going to Brisbane, Australia to exhibit my portraits there as well. I just got my passport yesterday. Oh, congratulations. That's exciting. Thank you. Wow. Wow. Have you compiled them into a book? I've had thoughts about that. Um, That hasn't happened yet just because um, there was so much going on in the thick of everything that it was, it was a little bit overwhelming. And then honestly, like after things sort of started to die down, I, I had a point of like a little bit of a, I needed a mental break so mm. I to like step back for a while, but now I'm back into it and a lot more ready and more in a place where I'm, I'm willing to entertain the idea of a book. The portraits have been published in other books. There was a former senator named Hugh Seagal who wrote a book called Bootstraps Mean Boots. And he's a conservative who's also um, a very passionate basic income advocate. And my portraits are featured in his book. And then there's a, a number of academic articles and journals and uh, magazines that have published my photos as well. It's been a very strange journey. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. Who knew? Who knew? <laughs> I did not know. And I did not plan this. And, and was that wasn't part of your business plan either. Not at all. Not at all. And and it, it took years. The business is only finally just launched this year. That's how long it took after the cancellation of the pilot. And then after all the advocacy and fighting, but then also needing to save up and build up the collateral and the money to be able to take the dive to start the business. And even now, I still don't have enough. <laughs> Tell us about the business. It's um, a video business, actually, not a photography business. And it's all about family legacy and storytelling. So the first product I made was a documentary, a feature-length film about my grandmother and her life and her story and her legacy. Um, She's still alive, by the way. She's 94 years old. She lives on the family farm. She's healthier than we are. Um, I think she might outlive us. (laughs) But I I, I got this whole story and I, you know, scanned all the family photos and put it all in. I made this beautiful film. I composed the soundtrack because I'm a musician and I know how to play the piano. So I I did all this and um, I want to do that for other families. Like I want to like other people have grandmothers like mine or loved ones that they really care about. And also just the history, like 
she grew up during the Great Depression and during World War II. So some of the stories that she had there, I believe, are just incredibly valuable to know. But it's all about legacy and um, preserving family history. That's, that's, the business that's amazing. And, you know, there's also value. Both of my parents have long passed. I would so much appreciate video of my mom telling some of her stories. Yeah. And you don't realize that when you have someone day to day. And of course, nowadays, phones and videos are so ubiquitous yeah. that my grandchildren, well, if they want, they can listen to my podcast in the future. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but for the older people who did not have that throughout their lives, I think there's value in getting that before they're gone. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's something you don't even think about until the until you don't have the chance. And it, it seems extremely morbid to say, because I, I love my grandmother and I want her around as long as, and I'm very glad that she's around as long as she has been. But one day when she's no longer there, I'm, I'm going to be so glad I have that movie. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank I'm you. glad that's off the ground. Thank Obviously, you. yes. you'll share the link to that too. I will um, absolutely do that. Yes. Some of the listeners might want to get in touch and have this done Please. for themselves. Please, Please do. Please do so. I would love to work with you. So are you still doing work with a universal basic income organization at all? Yes. Yes, actually. Um, so I, I've been involved. The, Canada has surprisingly a really strong, well, not surprisingly, because like I mentioned, you know, our long history with basic income, but we have a very strong basic income movement here in Canada with a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of passionate supporters all over the place. Like um, there's the Basic Income Canada Network and um, I'm involved with them. And recently, um, just last year, we just completed a project called the Green Resilience Project, where we actually interviewed communities all across Canada, um, just capturing a whole wide section, like, you know, from inner city Toronto to northern communities in, in Nunavut to uh, to um, people in British Columbia or the Maritimes all over about climate change and um, the impacts on local economies. So we're talking about climate change and basic income and what is happening in those communities and what are they experiencing and holding these conversations. So we just completed that project and I'm actually um, really actively looking for funding to continue and make a documentary about some of the conversations we had with that project. Um, and I'm happy to share that report with you as well. Oh, so, yes. We're going to have a long list. We're going yes, to have a long I mean, I have list a lot of things. things to show you. Yeah. So um, <laughs> we just did that. And then there's also the Basic Income Canada Youth Network, and they're fantastic and, and comprised of young people and youth that are advocating for basic income. And then there's another organization called UBI Works. UBI Works was this organization founded by the CEO, Floyd Marinescu. He's a tech CEO, and he was very upset about the cancellation of the basic income pilot. And he gathered and organized a lot of other CEOs to advocate up on behalf of the cancellation. And that sort of evolved into this organization that, like, they do a lot of work in advocacy. They they help to sponsor the basic income march, but they also do a lot of research. Um, they support politicians um, and they support everyday people and and educate and do research about basic income and help people to understand the issue a lot better. So those are like sort of the big organizations in Canada. And I, I know them all and have helped and worked with them in different capacities over the years. And, and it's been really good work. Currently, I'm working for a nonprofit in Toronto 
that I met through the basic income movement. Um, and that nonprofit's concerned with food accessibility for the St. Jamestown community. So it's great working with them. And I love the community and the work that we're doing with them. Um, it's not necessarily extremely basic income focused, but we do talk a lot about basic income and that's one of our mandates. So that's, that's sort of where I'm at right now. Wow. You're busy. Busy. But you're doing work that you love and hopefully you can pay the rent. And eat. <laughs> so far, so good. Fingers good. crossed. Good. I'm so yeah. glad. Yeah, yeah. Do the do so. the studies? You know, I know the almighty dollar is the most important thing. And even though there are, I will say, I will call them a soft benefit, might be mental health benefits. Do a lot of these studies actually measure and quantify the cost benefit to the investment? I know that UBI Works has a study like that, where where they talk about how to base pay for basic income and where does the money come from. And it isn't just like, you know, from taxpayers' pockets. It's a lot of it is coming from like a wealth tax and and, and like especially taxing like larger corporations and taxing the wealthiest. And I also like I, I do believe that those studies do see that cost and return in investment. And when you're considering it, we also have to consider the cost of poverty. So poverty costs Canadian taxpayers, I believe it's like $80 billion per year. It's a stupid number. And that is in costs and related to healthcare. So like if you're in poverty, your healthcare outcomes are going to be worse. Your life expectancy is going to be lower. You don't have access to healthier food. You don't, you may not live in a healthy neighborhood. You know, there could be like, you know, chemicals from factories or whatever. I don't know. As a society, we are paying for that healthcare and tax care dollars. Also, there's a direct link between poverty and crime. So we're also paying for the cost of people being in jail due to poverty. And that's coming out of our taxpayer money. So we also have to consider those costs. And when they did the basic income pilot in um, Manitoba, in Dauphin, in the 70s, that's a fascinating story because that pilot got prematurely canceled, much like the Ontario pilot. All of the evidence, all of the research that had been done, all the surveys, everything, all that data was put into boxes and put into a storage room. And it was just left there for decades. And then in, in the mid-2000s, a professor named Evelyn Forget um, who's an economics professor at the University of Manitoba. And I've had the pleasure of meeting her a few times. She's lovely. Um, she decided to do the research and she was like, well, what happened with this study? What happened in Dauphin? So she dug out all those boxes and, and poured over all the research and did everything. And um, what she found was that the school dropout rates lowered in the 70s because in the 70s, kids were dropping out of high school and not graduating because they had to go home and work on the family farm. So then um, the hospital's visits were reduced significantly. Um, less people were going to the hospital. Less people were poor. Less people were getting sick due to poverty-related healthcare problems. So they weren't needing the hospital and crime went down. Um, so these were all huge things. And then like, there's a movie about it. Um, they, they did a documentary called The Manitoba Story and I watched it. And it's interesting because like, you know, they interviewed some of the people from that pilot. And this is like nearly 50 years later. And people are still experiencing an impact of this basic income pilot that happened 50 years ago. So like one of the stories that really stuck out to me was a man who was a farmer. And in the 70s, when he was on this basic income pilot, 
he used his money to buy a truck. So because he had that truck, he was able to transport more livestock and more produce and to sell more things and make more money, which enabled him to buy more things for the farm, which enabled his farm to get bigger. And so the interview ends with him standing in this large scale, huge, like multi-million dollar farming operation. And it's all because, you know, the government gave him a handout and he bought a truck. Sounds like a good investment to me. Yeah. And so you think about like, well, what's the economic impact of that multi-million farming operation? Because like, you know, a couple hundred dollars into millions of dollars for that family, you know, that's helped him and has helped his children and will help his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So it's hard to quantify the impacts, but the impacts are huge and positive. Yeah. 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 And, you know, we're not aware of it. No. And, you know, when people do this whole, like, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, you need to work hard mentality. I think people, I think they, they sort of forget of the impacts like that or the privileges that they may have in their own lives. Like, you know, what inheritance enabled you to buy that house? Or, you know, what job did your parents give you that, that you know, enabled you to move forward in your career? Um, but then I also think, do you want, I don't want my taxpayer money going towards paying for people's sicknesses in the hospitals or going to jail because of poverty. I would rather pay for a forward-minded solution that eliminates poverty and then instead of trying to put a Band-Aid on the problem after it has happened. Exactly. So preventable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so happy I found you. And I'm so happy. And I'm so happy you're willing to talk to us about this. Thank you. I should let you go, but I want to ask you if you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share. Yeah. I fully believe in building a better world and and I want the world that I live that I leave behind to be better than it was when I came into it. That's sort of how I live my life. And I want us as a society, I think we deserve to have the courage to imagine that better world. We're better than a capitalistic society where only a few wealthy people at the top hoard all of the world's wealth for at the expense and suffering of all humanity. I think we as humans are better than that. And we deserve better than that. And, and I want to fight for something better. I, the status quo isn't good enough because the status quo is that we have homeless people, we have poverty, we have people dying. And we saw the impacts of it during the pandemic. And we also saw the positive impacts of people taking using CERB and these Canada emergency programs and how it you know saved a lot of families. A lot of people started businesses on CERB. A lot of people did a lot of good things. So we were seeing these this work in action. We're seeing existing basic income programs that have been around for years, like the Canada Child Benefit, where parents get money every month for being parents, or the old age income, guaranteed income supplement for seniors has been going on for years and years. Those are basic income programs. Um, Canada Child Benefit has reduced poverty, has taken at least 300,000 children out of poverty. We see these programs work. We know that this works. We know that we deserve better. And, And I think that we need to continue fighting for that because I believe it's a human right. Thank you. And I do think you can run a business, make a profit, and still treat your employees ethically. Yes. 
I fully believe that. This is not necessarily anti-capitalism. It's anti-unethical capitalism that only values the profits at the top. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Jesse, thank thank you so, so much. I hope to be in touch with you again on something. We had, I almost got us off topic a few times. There's just so much that we could talk about. I'm so glad I discovered you. Thank Thank you. you so much. Thanks so much, Julie. Thank you for listening. I hope you found that as interesting as I did. If you have anything you'd like to share, you can email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. Have a great week. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.